Hello and welcome to the Anatomy of a Leader with me, Maria Vorostovsky. I'm the founder and CEO of HVO Search, working at the intersection of creativity, retail, and digital. Each month, I discover more about founders, investors, CEOs, chairmen, and women, how they succeeded, how they failed, and what they learned along the way. Sherelle, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you, you so much for being here. Um, I've actually wanted for you to come and be on this for a little while, but with everything, you like running your own business with this pandemic, it's been challenging. And even now we still have to kind of do this two meters apart. <laughs> so can't give each other hugs, but, uh, yeah, you know, nice virtual. to, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Adjusting. Mm -hmm. um, well, you know, I've known you for a very long time and, you know, when you were still in your Kind of beauty therapist days and what I really admired about you is not only your meticulous attention to detail but also how amazing you are with clients I've actually never met a person with a memory like yours you just remember everything <laughs> <laughs> and it's you always ask amazing questions and as I said you're really meticulous in what you do so I'm really impressed with what you've been able to to do and you know setting up your own Nails and Brows Salon and launching your own cosmetics brand. Um, so would really love to hear about your story and your journey and, you know, the lessons, the challenges, um, the failures, but we'll come back to that word <laughs> later. Um, let's start from the beginning, like where, where you grew up. Can you talk so, a little bit about that? Yes, of course. So my name is Sherelle Riley and I am the founder of Nails and Brows in Mayfair. Um, I was born and raised in Jamaica and I moved to the UK when I was 12 years old. Um, I moved to live with my family um, in Yorkshire, um, in Chesterfield. And um, from Yorkshire, I then moved to London in the 90s, the late 90s, <clears throat> to start my career, experience the big city and accomplish, you know, my professional and personal life, I guess, mm. and dreams. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I started. Um, I moved, I guess, from Jamaica. I always wanted to move, I guess, I wanted to move around the age of about nine, ten. Um, my aunt, my mum's sister, lives here. She's lived here. She's part of the Windrush generation. And she would visit home every so often. Mm. And I just took a real shine to her. And um, we just connected and I would follow her everywhere. She spoke well, she looked well, she was kind. And I, I just really, she inspired me. Mm. And, um, and also, I guess she gave me a lot of attention because I'm from one of seven. So wow. big family. <laughs> yes. So it was like, oh, I can have it all to myself. And anyway, so I said to her, oh, when you go back to England, can I come with you? And she's like, what? And I was like, yeah, I would like to move with you. Can I come and live with you? And she's like, oh, England's not like Jamaica, Sherelle. It's, you know, it's, she tried to discourage me. She's like, it's cold and mm. it's damp and the food. And I was like, yeah, I know, but I want to come anyway. And I think she thought I was just saying that, but mm. I didn't. I just kept going. And going. Didn't really mean it. And going. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I went on long enough that she said, oh, go and ask your mum. And so I did. And my mum's like, yeah, if you want to go and live with your aunt, no problem. Mm. And so my aunt was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, fast forward, I was like, yeah, she said I can. So can I, can I come? And then she, anyway, my mum and my aunt talked and 
um, I think my mum felt that the opportunities that I would have in England, I wouldn't have them in Jamaica. Mm. So it's not that she wanted to get rid of me as such, <laughs> but she could see that, you know, the opportunities in Jamaica are limited as mm. she experienced for herself. Mm. And I think as any parent, you want the best for your child. Yeah. And so she said on that basis, yes. And anyway, then we spoke to... They talked and then they said, obviously, we need to speak to your dad. And I spoke to my dad and my dad said, no. <laughs> and so they had to work on my dad mm. um, and make him see the opportunities. It's not that he didn't. He just didn't want to lose because we, we were really it's a big diff, You know, it's a big change for mm. a parent to, to, to agree to that. And yeah. my daughter being not here, where I can't pay attention to her. <laughs> yeah. And I think for my dad, it was personal. I right. think it, for him, it I, I didn't see it at the time, but now I look back on the conversations that were being had. And I think for him, it was the sign of failure. Right. I'm not in a position to take care of my child, to right. raise my child, to nurture financially. I think that's how he saw it. Mm. And even when I would visit, he would make comments mm. of what he felt that I would do that he didn't approve of. <laughs> right. And it would be like, oh, you know, it's because I'm not raising you. Mm. so he you know it was a personal thing um mm. and anyway so I think he consented from a uh, opportunities to you know see in the future for me so I kind of felt I had to do something with my life because mm. I was given an opportunity and I need to you know grasp it and did something. he say that explicitly or is it something that you felt I, I felt yeah but I felt it um as I said, I didn't know why at the time. Mm. And um, and as I grew up, I started understanding. And over the years, we've had conversations. Mm -hmm. And each time we've had conversations, there's almost like a resentment. There's a resentment for my aunt that's mm. raised me. Because it's it's for him, it's not being able to do what a man or a father should do. Mm. So he hasn't said that but directly, but indirectly, mm. he, you know, I know he has. That's how you kind of in mm, interpreted that, mm. yeah. And just go, you know, in terms of how you were growing up in in Jamaica. I mean, do you did you, you know, dream about what you would do, or you know, like what was your, you know, what did you dream about when you were there? I didn't dream about um, anything I would do. I think growing up, I had a very, I was very lucky. I had a pretty decent, happy, healthy childhood. Um, we were surrounded by beauty, natural mm -hmm. beauty, because it's a beautiful island. Mm -hmm. And where we lived, um, there were lots to captivate me. And I was, I don't know, I believed in magic. I don't know how I ended up believing, but <laughs> I thought everything was magical. Oh, my God, it's magic. And I think that was probably my favorite word growing up. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's magic, it's magic. And I, I think fantasy. I think mm -hmm. I was in a fantasy land. Mm -hmm. So when I looked at butterflies, and, you know, I remember the day I figured out that, you know, caterpillars turned into butterflies. I was like, oh, my God, that's <laughs> magical. That's not something I learned at school. It's something I witnessed. I picked up caterpillars and put them in a bottle. Mm. And then the next day I watched them, butterflies was bouncing around. So is it this element of transformation? That possibly. Been, yeah. mm, mm. Possibly. And, yeah, I love anything natural beauty I guess I was surrounded by mm -hmm. and I appreciated it even though I was young mm. when you were growing up I mean what did you imagine that you would be doing when you grew up I have to be honest 
I didn't. I mm. didn't have an imagination of my future. Mm. I think I was a Not child. Not everyone does. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. I was a child and I think I just enjoyed being a child. Mm. Um, when I got into my teenage years, when I had to start thinking, what was I going to mm. do? I think I didn't know. I liked the idea of being an air hostess because it looked very glamorous mm. and I wanted to travel. I knew I wanted to travel from a young age. I don't know why. I just definitely knew I wanted to explore and experience the world. Mm. Um, so that appealed to me. And then um, trying to think else, what else? I think, oh, I used to actually enjoy drama school when I was at school, drama mm. lessons. And at one time I was like, oh, yeah, I want to be an actress. And you know, my family would take me to shows and try to get me to meet the actors and actresses. And then quickly I was like, no, I don't want to do that. Not for me. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. That was it. I didn't have a goal or a master plan, like, mm. to be honest. Mm. So how did it come about that you decided to, to set up your own business? Fast forward, how did I decide? I've been in the industry for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess I developed a lot of knowledge and skills and experience. I'm a therapist, but also I'm a consumer. Mm -hmm. And it came about because I'd been working in Mayfair since 2002 mm. or 2003, something like that. And I wanted a treatment for myself, a beauty treatment. In fact, I had booked a beauty treatment and it got cancelled at the last minute. I was going on holiday mm. and I wanted to have my grooming, my manicure, pedicures, and I couldn't find anywhere to do it at the last minute. So fast forward, I was shocked that there was nothing in Mayfair that could mm. accommodate me. It was a Friday night at like 6 p.m. And I was shocked that there wasn't such an offering. Mm. And that became a light bulb moment, coupled with the idea that I've been in the industry for so many years. Mm. I have lots of clients. I have lots of knowledge and experience. And so... That kind of stemmed from there, and then I read a story um, in the Evening Standard which was saying that nail bars was the fastest growing businesses on the high street as retail was mm. starting to disappear and consumer moved online. And um, as the retail stores disappeared, then nail bars were taking the places and opening up. And reading that, and then remembering my experience of not being able to get any appointments, mm. um, then I was like, oh, you know, I think I think I should do something. Mm. I've always wanted to, but I didn't know what I wanted. I knew I wanted to do something, but I wasn't clear. Mm. And I came up with the idea and then I mentioned it. You know, you have to verbalize ideas and then get encouragement or feedback mm. or validation. And I did. And everybody I spoke to were like, oh, my God, you should definitely do it. Mm. And the more I got validation, the more I became confident in the idea. And researched it, um, created a business plan, spoke to my clients, friends, mm. secured the investment. Fast forward, that's how I created Nails and Brands. Mm. And just like that. <laughs> <laughs> just so easy. Yeah, very easily. <laughs> and I mean, you know, all jokes aside, I mean, running a business and starting a business is, is hard. I mean, what do you wish you knew when you started? Oh God, what did I wish? And I wish, um, I would say our business, what I've learned is very labor intensive mm. and it's um, people, you know, we are customer facing as well as people management. So I didn't have any management, any managerial experience mm. of managing people. 
before I'd managed myself, <laughs> before I set up Nails and Breath. And I think I wish I had that because it's really relevant to what I do, given, as I said, we're people face, um, mm -hmm. customer facing. We have um, 26 staff members. Um, so understanding what makes people happy, what makes people unhappy, I knew that from a customer point of view. Mm. But staff and customers or team members are very, very different, different needs. Some people work for money. Mm. Um, some people work for acknowledgement, praises. Um, some people work for their passion because mm. that's what, you know, drives them. And I guess now I'm in a leadership position. I have to identify what stimulates and what my team works for, what drives and motivates them. Mm. And that's hard because mm. we've all got different needs. Mm. So I wish I'd known that. <laughs> no, it's hard, especially when... I think, you know, in your industry in particular, because it's all about, you know, service, it's about, you know, not only delivering a great, you know, experience, but also, you know, making sure that, you know, whoever that you're with is, you know, is happy. So you're used to kind of pleasing people, whereas in a management position, you sometimes have to maybe even go against that or, you know, identify that within yourself because, you know, it's, it's really hard to please everyone that you're kind of working with. So it must be quite a difficult adjustment. But I think what you said about, you know, first, you know, before I was leading myself and now leading a team, but, you know, what I find is that this ability to lead yourself is what gives you the strength to be able to lead others. So I think, you know, from, from that perspective, you're already starting from a good place. Um, so, and would you have done anything differently knowing what you know now? Um, differently, mm. Mm. of course, <laughs> there's so many things, I'm just going to try and pick one thing because mm. we could be here forever, yeah. um, possibly one of the main things that I've learned, which I would have done differently, is I didn't have a master plan when I set up Nails and Brows, mm. and after Nails and Brows I decided to create my own brow collection, Beauty Elite Mayfair. And again, I didn't have a master plan. So I hadn't focused on raising my professional profile mm. um, in terms of media awareness, my name, my knowledge, my expertise, and kind of, you know, showcasing what I know to the public. Mm -hmm. And also within the industry, I focused on developing nails and brows. Um, when I created Beauty Edit and I needed to launch it, I suddenly realized I was launching a brand that nobody knew about mm. and by a person nobody knew about or very few just my clients but my clients have got an amazing following but mm. that's not enough to create you know a retail as you're also competing with such major know, big, giants big names exactly uh, yeah. so i think i would say that's in hindsight that's one thing that i've you know mm. an error that i'd overlooked i was told to do that to be honest by many of my clients who are in you know amazing positions that mm. have kind of mentored me unintentionally but kind of just sharing advice mm. and guidance as I would share what I was doing and they would say oh sure you need to do this you need to do that and I would listen but I would be dismissive of taking their some of their advice on board mm. because I guess for me it was I wasn't ready internally so it wasn't that i didn't um, appreciate their advice but sometimes you've got to be ready mm. to receive the information and I wasn't ready and I don't think I'd realized what it meant also mm. in terms of you know coming to the market <laughs> yeah 
Did it did it concern you being visible, or did you have any sort of associations with you know being kind of really present in the in the media and you know kind mm. of talking about your business? Did that did you have any concerns about that, or any kind of pre what's the word I'm looking for like preconceived ideas about what 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 you thought that would be? Um, yeah, <laughs> mm. I did definitely, and I think that's one of the main reasons why I shied away mm. um, from the limelight because I knew, you know, I knew back then, and I still do, lots of media professionals mm. that were willing and ready to support me. Um, I think I there were many reasons. One is that internal confidence to step forward and own my knowledge and experience. Mm. Also, to be open myself to be scrutinized and, you know, criticized. Because mm -hmm. when you step forward in the media, you do get great um, attention, positive, but equally you do get negative too. Yeah. And I was think I think I was scared of, you know, could I handle mm -hmm. the negative sides? And, you know, you do see many, I know many VIP clients, I see of what they go through mm. so I was like oh I don't know if I'm yeah. quite I don't know if I want to put myself in that position a very then, scary place to be mm -hmm. being so visible and publicly you know and we know everything about sort of the internet and how cruel that could be too exactly yeah. and as I said I've got quite a few high profile clients mm. and I see how their you know profile of their character everything is questioned and destroyed a lot of it is not accurate mm. so and you know they can't control that mm -hmm. so I think that scared me and um, and also I guess being a woman of color that scared me as well from um, taking ownership I wanted the brand to be faceless because I didn't think it would be positively received if I was the face behind the brand why not mm. It's, it's hard to articulate, but, you know, not everybody is supportive. There's, you know, in our world, there's people that's always going to be supportive of, you know, me as a person, me as a woman of colour, but there's equally a lot of people that's not going to be supportive. And I was aware of that, so I didn't want to do anything that would hinder mm. in my eyes. And so, I because I'm aware of that, I kind of shied away as well. Mm. Actually, just touching on that topic, you know, being a woman of colour, as you put it, I mean, how, how has that impacted you, do you think, in your business and just generally? Um, overall, I would say I've had an amazingly, really positive experience. Mm. Um, very su great support from mm. our team, our customers. Um, overall, it's been really, really positive. You know, I've had some negative experiences, but it's impossible not to. Yeah, to be honest, um, I don't feel that I've been held back. Mm -hmm. I think I feel I've been overlooked for opportunities, but I've not allowed myself to be held back. If that makes sense, mm -hmm. I've been like constantly chipping away mm -hmm. <laughs> like a woodpecker. Um, and you know, any opportunities that I've been overlooked for, I just think, oh well, there'll be better opportunities, mm -hmm. and that's kind of my mindset. Like that, just that positivity, and it's like kind of. You know, talking about your childhood earlier, it's like, you know, it's like, I want to go to London, I will do this. Like, mm. just having such a, you know, almost like a, f a force within you that you're just going to get to wherever you're going. And, you know, just looking at all the beautiful and, you know, all the positive things there. So, 
No, that's that's amazing. Um, do you think the current Black Lives Matter movement, do you think it's a pivotal moment in race relations? Oh, that's a big question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, I don't really know. I think many things. I need to... I think many things, to be honest. I don't think it's a pivotal moment in terms of race relations. Mm-hmm. I think it's more of a, um, it's an important time to me for human rights. Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, everything that's going on is centered around race. Of course, being a black person and, you know, there is a lot of oppression. Mm-hmm. But I think it's more about equal rights for humanity mm-hmm. um, to deny you know, certain race or certain people, human human rights based on their colour or race, it's mm. absurd. Mm. Um, so I think that's more what I see. Um, when opportunities or life, being alive, is denied, what does that person or people, what do, what's the world missing? Yeah. Because I think we're all here to give each other mm. and the world a gift. Mm-hmm. Most of us don't know what our gifts are because mm. we're denied the opportunity to contribute mm. um, personally or professionally. And so I think it's more, I think it's more that's what I feel mm. anyway that's going on. I love that. It's like, what's the world missing? I think that's such a good way of phrasing it mm. because when you aren't given the opportunities and you don't have that chance to be able to kind of like rise to the top of your game then the whole world you know kind of loses out and oh, I think 100%. that's a really beautiful I way of putting it. I think personally and professionally I'm mm. not just talking about Korean there are many of us that are supposed to invent things cures for medicine for mm. I don't know in every industry is personally and professionally so mm. that's why I think it's a human rights issue mm-hmm. rather than a racial issue obviously mm. we're black and the movement is centered around because it's black people and brown people that are mm. being held back and murdered etc but I think it's a human rights issue in the end. Mm. I know we talked about you know kind of being overlooked earlier but you know when was the moment that you felt that you were overlooked and how did you handle that? Um I mean, God, there's been a few. (laughs) So I think, um, you know, it's it's, um, being overlooked. I would say when I was setting up Nelson Browse and I'd secured the investment, I'd done pretty much everything and then just needed to find my site. Um, I would, my premises, I would look online, um, as you do if you're looking to buy a property, I'd find, I knew I wanted to be in Mayfair because I knew that's where the lacking of offering was. Mm-hmm. I'd been in there, Mayfair since 2002. So anyway, when I would speak to the real estate agents and say, oh, you know, I would like to find out what you've got available. I've seen this property online and I'm interested. Mm-hmm. And they would get excited and I would send them my presentation of you know, what my plans are with the information of the investment, the style, the feel, and they would be excited and they would invite me to a viewing. When I would turn up, they wouldn't want to show me. They would give me excuses that, oh, you know what, I don't think our landlord would actually be interested in a nail bar. And I would be like, oh, but why didn't you say that on the phone? Mm. You've invited me to come here. Mm. And they'd be like, yeah, I, I understand. And you know what? I'm going to be really honest. You're not going to make any money. It's Mayfair. The prices, mm. 
that make you know for your rent and rates it's high most of the businesses in this area don't make money mm. they're here for the presence um, and they make their money offline or in another location but they're here for the present mm. and so I was being heavily discouraged mm. and I would go from one appointment to the next and the next with the same result and mm. I'd be like you're giving me appointment on the phone, mm. but when I turn up, you don't even want to step outside. What mm. the hell is going on? Mm. I could never say that because, you know, it's a hard thing to articulate. Mm. And people are defensive when you point out the truth that, mm. in you know, to them, they get very defensive. I have mm. been in position where I have pointed out the truth and the defense that comes in, in the end, you end up feeling bad. Mm. So... Um, so that's one experience that I would say was, you know, disappointing. Mm -hmm. When you're setting up a business, you've already got a million challenges. So the last thing you need is obstacles, people trying yeah. to um, hold you down or hold you back. Mm. And so I was deflated um, with all those experiences. And my husband, who's amazing, he's like my psychotherapy, bless him. <laughs> and many of my friends and family mm. would listen and just, you know, support and encourage mm. to say, just, you know, keep pick going. yourself up and just keep moving forward. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I would say that's one of the times that, you know, I just, I was smart. I was, after I picked myself up, I'm like, I need to be strategic here. Mm. And so I would get my friends to pretend to be me. Oh, really? <laughs> I would go with them and yeah. I would first say to my white friends, listen, these are my challenges. Mm. And they would be dismissive and say, oh, Shirelle, you know, it's in my head. And I'd be like, I'm not asking you for your opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm asking you for your support. Yeah. And if, you know, you're my friend, you'll support me. And so they would dress up. You know, we'd all we'd dress up together. Put on your green shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and I would rock up yeah. and, you know, they would do the talking mm. based on what I'd prep them like. They would act for me. Mm. <laughs> and I'd be in the background, the worker. I'm mm. going to be the one that's going to work. But that person is going to be the owner. And it's happened so many appointments. How I know you, you were the one decided to do that. How did you feel going into those meetings? I felt fine. Mm. I knew I had to do what I needed to do. Mm. And um, I didn't even think about it, mm. to be honest. I just knew that I needed to be smart. There was this challenge and you always face challenges. Mm. If it's not that kind of challenge, it'll be another. And you just need to be smart and find a way around them. Mm. So I don't think I dwelled and how I felt going into that meeting. I mm. was actually probably more excited of the property, the, the idea of, you know, this mm. place could be mine. Um, mm. So, mm. Do you think part of that is also what has um, deterred you from, you know, being the face? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mentioned that earlier. Mm. When you, you know, this is not a one-off. You go through mm. life with lots of these kind of experiences. Mm. So after a while, you internalise it and don't really want to step forward because you know what stepping forward means yeah so you know it is what it is you just eventually keep working on yourself to become stronger and smarter and mm. thicker skinned and all the other things and just yeah. keep going well I'm really glad that you're doing this now and I'm really glad that you're here so thank you well, actually you mentioned before we kind of started interview you know, the word failure and that you have kind of a bit of a negative association with it. You don't like to use that word. Why not? Um, oh, 
failure to me is a big word mm. <laughs> and it's a it's a word but I guess I won't accept because if I accept the idea of failure that means there's no return mm-hmm. um and um I think life is full of challenges personally and professionally and um there are times you're going to go up and you keep going up and it's great and there's times you keep going down and you you know it's it's a challenge mm-hmm. but you know failure failure is when that is it there's no mm-hmm. turning back mm-hmm. so if i use that to me that is that's that's that's, that's that. final that's yeah that's it <laughs> that's there's it. no coming back from no. that so right um it's not i don't know why i think that way there must be a reason that probably i need to mm. examine but that's what failure means to me i have a theory about that tell me <laughs> <laughs> um I think you've redefined what failure means to you mm-hmm. in the sense like if you, you can't call it failure it's like oh it's just a little error it's a mistake it doesn't matter it's like and it's like you you kind of learn from it you move on you you know you continue whereas actually that's what failure is it's just moments in time where you just didn't do that right thing and for me word failure doesn't really have that a uh, horrible kind of like it's the end of the world doomsday <laughs> kind of situation but, but yeah that's my that's kind of like my theory because you just you know from what you've been telling me now and from what i know about you just always it's like okay this doesn't work let's try this or this isn't happening let's try a different way so you're just evolving yeah i guess yeah i guess different words mean different things to people mm. or interpreted differently and mm. i guess it's based on experiences mm-hmm. you know we as humans have different experiences and so we mm. attach words and things to based on past experiences mm. or so yeah i definitely will um listen to <laughs> your interpretation <laughs> and see how well it sits but mm. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if I'm buying it. <laughs> that's that's fine. That's um, fine. Yeah, I don't I don't know, but you know I I go away and I process things and yeah. if I process it and I'm like, "Oh, okay, then I'll possibly own it, but not yet." No. <laughs> no, that's you know, that's just for the reason why, you know, we started the series is is actually to show that, you know, people at the top of their game have had their, you know, fair share of challenges, they've had their fair share of mistakes or failures or whatever you want to call them and yet still you know there are in that position so it's not about making things perfect and you know it's you know what i'm trying to understand from other people is you know what that they everyone's human at the end of the day we have feelings we're affected by you know society you know what that throws at us we're affected by everything and yet you know it's the resilience and the ingenuity and the positivity that helps us to you know get to certain places and i think it's just more of an inspiration to other people it's like yes i felt this too but i can also do this as well so mm. in terms of just in terms <laughs> of leadership what does that mean to you oh leadership mm. um leadership is to me it's constantly evolving if i'm being honest um to me it's been it's inspiring um the anyone team members family friends that you know to be better mm-hmm. um at their professional life or personal life um being fair mm-hmm. um being firm um and um yeah i think that's what i would attach to leadership 
are okay. for me anyway. Mm. And if you were to give yourself advice or to somebody who's embarking on your journey, what what three pieces of advice would you give them? Oh, God. Nah. <laughs> three pieces of advice. Embarking mm-hmm. um, my journey. Um, I would say, that's a good question. I would say, for me anyway, personally, what I've done is I would have, Um, encourage anybody that's doing this now who's built up knowledge and experience to raise their profile if they're planning to bring something new to the market mm-hmm. think ahead don't you know of course you can just get up and do something but you'll face more challenges not doing your homework your background mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um, than if you just get up and do it with no plan or strategy Um, put the hard work in. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no quick, fast track to success. Quick wins. There isn't. Mm. Um, you know, I've been doing this 24 years. Mm. So um, I've met lots of um, women and men, predominantly women, because there's women I work with, young women that are bored. Oh, I've been doing this for three years. I'm bored. Mm. And, <laughs> you know, I don't want to laugh because I don't want to insult them. But in my head, I am laughing because I'm like, you've been doing this for three years and you're bored <laughs> and you want to be successful. Like, mm. you need to up your game. Mm. You need to work hard. You need to breathe and live and do everything to be successful mm. because it doesn't matter what industry you are in. That's what drives success. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, yeah, educate yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, working hard is good it's a must but you have to work smart and now you work smart is through educating yourself one question i love to ask everyone is if you have a personal mantra mm, personal mantra i wouldn't say i've got a personal mantra to be honest no okay um i do have daily rituals mm-hmm. that i do so um i do pilates virtual pilates at 9 a.m Um, in fact, I cancelled <laughs> this morning. Sorry. <laughs> and then I am uh, five days a week mm-hmm. and I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. You know, it just helps me mentally and physically mm-hmm. start my day. I listen to meditation, um, guided meditation. Um, and I also um, listen to uplifting, inspiring music. I mm-hmm. love to start my day with music because, I don't know, it just uplifts me yeah mm. so that i would say i don't know if you call that mantra or rituals or whatever but that's, mm. that's my daily it's like your your habits mm. and any habits you'd like to change yes <laughs> <laughs> what is that <laughs> uh, time management right i've got to say i keep working on it and mm. it's getting better but mm. i've still got some work to do <laughs> Um, I take on way too much. Yeah. I always think, oh, I can do that. Oh, I should do that. And I try to do everything and I never have enough time. Mm. And um, I still need to prioritize my time. You know, I do and I don't yeah. well. So, mm. yeah, I've got to say that's my big thing. I saw on your Instagram the other day. <laughs> A post saying, I think it was you, says like, I miss the days when I used to tell my friends I'm in the taxi when I'm still putting on my makeup. Yeah, and I've got to say it's yeah. true. Yeah. And it's not because I don't respect their time. Yeah. It's because I manage my time poorly, mm. if I'm being honest. And it's yeah. something I just have to work on. I read an article not so long ago, which was talking about that 
the sign of lateness is a sign of being a positive person. Oh, I'll take that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I like that. Because I do beat up myself, I've yeah. got to be honest. When I'm late, I hate it. Mm. And I beat up myself. So I'm like, well, change it. Keep, yeah. Come on. Yeah. So, it, yeah, I'm still a work in progress. That's okay. <laughs> and last question. Um, you talked about earlier about your aunt. And, you know, she is a person that kind of helped to get you to be where you are today, to some extent. Was, was she a person that inspired you or who, who inspired you? Mm-hmm. Definitely my aunt. Yeah. My, many people inspire mm. me. My aunt, I lived with my aunt since I was 12 years old. Mm. And my aunt is quite a powerful, she's 78 now, she's a powerful woman um, in many ways. You know, she was a social worker for 30 years, women's aid. Um, she came to the UK with nothing, no education, no knowledge and experience. Um, just an idea of opportunity mm. and she carved out an opportunity for herself and uh, for her children she went on to have five children she raised them their children are doing well they love her to support her she has an amazing relationship grandchildren mm. and she's because she, I guess she's a social worker she was very conscious of the world we live in mm-hmm. and so she was trying to install that in me growing up I rejected it Mm. (laughs) to be honest I was like I'm not interested like you know she wanted me to attend these women's rights marches and god knows Mm. like your own mind (laughs) no I I don't want to go so I guess um she yeah she really inspired me my mom as well my mom has her own business my mom is 68 Mm. small family business my grandmother had her own business I grew Mm. up seeing my grandmother's sister aunt Jane had her own business small family businesses but I grew up, even, you know, before I left here, I would go in the shop to serve mm. customers. Mm. My uh, my mom and my grandmother, you know, customers would come and ask for things and they would give me the key, my mom, and say, oh, can you please? And I thought that was normal because also my brothers and sisters, all of us. So I guess I was lucky to have that. Mm. My clients as well, I entered the industry when I was 18. I've been surrounded by amazing professional women that were at the top of their game and I grew with them. Mm. Having conversations like yourself, having (laughs) regular conversations Mm. about personal, professional life, you know, you inspire me. Um, So many, (laughs) yes, I'm inspired by so many, it's not one person or one Mm. thing. And um, yeah, that's what I would say. No, I think you've been surrounded by very strong women who you know who you've learned from who you know you've seen actually you know your closest like your 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 mom your aunt your you know your grandma Mm. how you know you can do something with what you've got and you know in the circumstances and um and it's amazing to you know to see you kind of absorb everything and (laughs) you know making this an amazing success of what you're doing so I really wish you all the best and anything we can do to support you, let us know. Thank and you. again, thank you for coming here. Really lovely to see you. Thank you and for inviting me and yeah. allowing me to share my journey. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing <laughs> um, that. Much appreciated. And support. Yes, please. Book. Book your appointment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Um, support. I would love your support. Yes. Uh, you always support me anyway, to be honest. So. Yeah. Um, when you can finally reopen. Yes. Um, support. 
you know, in our industry, in the world, it's mm. a challenging time. So we mm. all need support from each other, you mm. know. Um, in terms of me, what I love, I've launched a new virtual brow appointment service. That's where you log in. You go into my website, nelsonbrows.me, you book your appointment and I will show up. Mm. by video mm. and I, I saw those you. Yes. I've been watching them and that's going really well I'm really enjoying yeah. it yeah. and um, I will share my knowledge and tips and tricks and educating and coaching you on how to achieve your best brows mm. um, also not just from me but also what products are available could be skincare it doesn't mm. you know it's a brow appointment but you don't have to talk about brows I've got lots of 24 years experience to share from products what to use for mm. this that so I'm happy to do that also, my products, definitely buy them. They're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love your support there. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I overlooked raising my profile, um, bringing them to the market. Mm. So my focus now is really going out there to, you know, share my passion and my knowledge um, to really empower women and men mm -hmm. um, through grooming, to making them look good. Um, and making them feel good mm. so yeah thank you thank you no we definitely we will yeah do what we can to make the most of this and yeah thank you. You. Thank, thank you thank you thank you